One Week Season. Great family of one week season. JM to win here. Welcome to the week five angles podcast. I am your host. I am your guest. JM to win. Put this on 1.5 X speed. Let's get started. So typically on the angles podcast, what I do is we kind of talk through an overview of the slate and then we dive into the bottom-up build. I'm really excited about this week. I've had a lot of fun this week. I'm, I feel like I'm really deep into the slate, but I've, I haven't gotten deep into roster construction or pricing yet and haven't really felt the need to. Just sort of the way that this slate is coming together for me, there's a lot of clarity in terms of where I want to go, how I want to put things together, and there don't appear to be many obstacles in the way of that in terms of pricing or in terms of differentiation, which when when Mike Johnson broke down that win that he had on FanDuel a couple of weeks ago, he had a 40K first place finish. If you didn't check it out, it's in the archives for the reflection scroll uh, from week three, I believe. And one of the things that he talked about was building that roster and he built it independent of sort of game theory thoughts. But after he built it, then he went back and judged, how does this lineup set up in terms of, do I need to do anything to be different from the field or is it already good to go? And he broke down the reasons why that roster was already good to go. He didn't need to think beyond the build of that roster in terms of what was required for differentiation. And that's kind of the place that I'm in with my builds this week and my approaches this week is... I can build based around what I'm most interested in and how I want to put things together and what I'm seeing as the clearest path to 200 plus points. And that that is also giving me my clearest path to a first place finish. Maximizing points, as we talk about, is not always going to give you your clearest path to a first place finish. And so you need that you need that second step where you say, okay, here is my roster. Here's what I like. Here's what I feel maximizes points. Does this also maximize paths to a first place finish? So this week I can kind of build one and cover the other. Uh, with that in mind, as I was thinking through how to give kind of an overview of this week's slate and how I was going to go through this week's bottom-up build, I realized that going through the bottom-up build is really going to allow me to explore the way that this slate sets up as a whole from my perspective. So we are going to start from the bottom-up build and talk through the slate using that. Before we get to that, one thing I want to talk about real quickly is, I'll say it like this, one of the things that I love about OWS is that it feels almost community-owned in a way. When I say OWS fam, I like we truly do function in a lot of ways as a very large family. Uh, it was interesting this summer. Yeah, this summer, what the guy who we used to work with at Fantasy Labs had left for another job. And so I had a call this summer with our new contact at Fantasy Labs. And uh, the guy we used to work with, we worked really well with him. And uh, he was very accommodating and, and quick to help with things and responsive and 
And so I was thinking, well, I hope that this new guy we're working with is, you know, a good contact. Like, I hope that we're not now in a position where this relationship doesn't come together the same way. And so I get on the call with, with the new guy at Fantasy Labs. And one of the first things he says to me is basically, oh, it's cool to be on the phone with you. I've been an OWS subscriber since 2018, since you guys started. And... From talking to him uh, through that conversation or other conversations with him, one of the things that he mentioned was that until he got the job at Fantasy Labs, one week season was the homepage on his browser. And I realized that's probably not unusual for OWS members. There are probably a lot of you that one week season, at least during football season, is the homepage on your browser. And it really is a great spot for us to hang out. It's a very different vibe than everything else that's out there. A great spot for us to hang out, for us to come onto Discord, to be part of the community. And it really is like a family, like a large family type setting. So with that in mind, I like to be as transparent as I can be and be as non-corporate as I can be in terms of communication with you guys. So one of the things I wanted to talk about, and I've seen conversations about this. And obviously Aaron and I, Rotomaven and I had conversations about this this summer. And that's the fact that we've always said that you get to keep your OWS entry price for life. And this year we've added on a different layer to the OWS subscription in Inner Circle that is obviously a different price. So I want to address that because I do think that it's worth talking about real quickly. And what I want to make clear, just being as transparent as possible and kind of having a family discussion, is that we're not, we didn't add Inner Circle to be greedy. We are trying to save OWS is basically the fact of the matter. So you guys know I did freelance writing for a long time. When I did freelance writing, I made over 100000 a year, and I worked significantly fewer hours than I work for OWS at this point. Uh, what, 50, 40 hours a week, 50 weeks out of the year is a typical work for people. That's 2,000 hours a year. I worked under 2,000 hours when I did freelance writing, and I worked significantly more than 2,000 hours a year on OWS. The most I've ever made from OWS is about 75 or 80,000, and this year I'll probably make about 20,000. So, I say that just so that you guys have a sense of where we're working from and why we're doing the things that we're doing. So we are trying to, I know how much you guys love OWS. We don't want to sell OWS, but we are closer to the point of selling OWS and me moving on to something where I can spend less time and make more money than we are to the point where all of this work pays off. Like in that travel from point A to point B, we're still closer to point A right now then we are to point B. And so what we're always trying to figure out is how do we keep growing and expanding OWS in such a way that OWS can, I guess I'll say, thrive in the box score in the same way that it sort of thrives out in the real world. Uh, in other words, I love OWS, you guys love OWS, and that's great, but there's also a layer of the finances have to line up at some point. And so one of the things that we wanted to do was how do we keep 
growing OWS, basically what I was doing before where I was running everything was a highly unsustainable because I was getting very worn down by the second half of the season. The product was not up to the level that I would have wanted it to be at that point because of that. And we were still capped at the growth that we could have because I was doing everything. So obviously bringing in new people adding the reflection scroll, adding all the podcasts, adding the scroll at the end of the week, uh, adding all the cool things that we've added at the original entry price. I mean, when we launched, it was just going to be the NFL Edge and the Player Grid and a Friday night podcast. We didn't even have ownership projections. So adding all of these things in that we've added to really become what I think we all believe is the best DFS site, at least the best DFS site for any of us who are focused on what we're focused on, who are focused on trying to get better at DFS and understand the game of DFS and make a run at making good money through DFS and bringing in all these, bringing in Zandemir, bringing in Hilo, bringing in Sonic, bringing in Poppy, bringing in Mike Johnson, bringing in Larejo and Magico and on the Edge Audio and all these other things that we've done it's sort of a can't have one without the other type of thing. So we could either have me doing everything. And and if I were still doing everything, we probably wouldn't still have an OWS at this point, but it would either be me doing everything and you guys getting a lot less as part of your subscription or us bringing in all these other people and expanding in all these other ways. But in order to support that with me still not really making money off of OWS in order to support that, we had to have inner circle. We had to have this extra product where we can say, look, if you want extra training throughout the week, if you want extra slate prep and strategy throughout the week, we've always said that we're not a pick site. So if we're going to add some extra things as far as like the Oracle, where it is a cheat sheet style, it's not a picks cheat sheet, but it is saying, hey, like, let's get in there. Let's get down and dirty with the core strategy elements and get our whole team contributing their thoughts to you on that. Uh, let's get down and dirty with this Saturday podcast where we have as much information as we can possibly have at this point in the week and talk through the strategy, the position by position, not plays, but strategy, which is what Xandamir and Hilo do on Saturdays. If we can add that and that allows us to add these other things and to put ourselves in position where we can say, okay, we can see how in 2022 or 2023 or 2024, whenever it finally comes, we will have grown to the point where this is now worth it for the time that I'm putting in and it's sustainable moving forward. So all of that is technically more information than you guys need. But again, when I say one week season fam, I truly do feel like we have this community vibe and I want to be as open and honest with you guys as possible. And I also want to note, I don't say any of that feeling attacked. I very much understand the perspective of being like, wait a second, I came in at this entry price and bought OWS and now there's another level to OWS that I don't get. I totally understand that. And I also don't say any of that from a sense of self-pity or self-sacrifice, right? Like I started OWS, I got myself into this. I didn't necessarily realize everything I was getting myself into, but this is I'm doing this because I want to be doing this and we're working to grow this instead of just selling it or shutting it down. We're working to grow it because it is something that I want to be able to keep building and keep putting out there into this industry that I have spent so much time in and, and enjoyed so much. So again, I want to be clear that none of that is saying like, 
oh, look, I'm not making enough money from OWS. And none of that saying that that there shouldn't have been these thoughts, right? We've talked, Aaron and I talked in the off season about like, you know, we're adding this to a product that already exists where people got to lock in their entry price. Like, let's make sure that we feel comfortable with this and let's make sure that we can justify this to ourselves, that this is a necessary step. And that's really what it comes down to is it's a necessary step. And it's allowing OWS to kind of keep going right now and and keep finding what our pathways are to kind of grow this into what we're hoping to grow it into. So I will leave that there and we will turn our attention to this week's bottom up build. So I had fun last week doing the 44K salary cap. What we've done in the past, as you know, is we kind of find what the best values are and then how we can build around them from a standpoint of strategy, how we would build around those plays if everybody were working with the same the same salary cap we're working with. But as you also know, for the bottom-up build contest that we run, we do a 44K salary cap. Everybody works with that salary cap. And it has allowed people to do some cool and fun things. If you haven't been paying attention in the reflection scroll each week, which you can find in the drop in the Edge Plus drop-down menu, you can find it uh, featured on the homepage up until like Thursday each week. But in the reflection scroll each week, Dustin breaks down the bottom-up build winner. And it's been cool to see some of the unique ways that people approach this 44K salary cap in recognizing that you don't have to pay down at every position. And you can't. So if if I could build a roster that only takes up 39K in salary cap or 41K in salary cap, but we're working with a 44K salary cap in the bottom up build, it allows things like, hey, let me pay all the way up at a running back. Let me pay all the way up at quarterback and then fill in the values from there. And so it's been really cool to see the additional strategy angles that people are able to pull in with with a set salary cap, with a 44K salary cap. And so I am going to to continue working with a 44K salary cap on my end. So we will start this week at the running back position. And before we get to the running back, well, let's get to the running back that I'm putting in first. We'll put in Alexander Madison. This is obviously assuming that Dalvin Cook is going to miss this week. Right now, it's looking like a game time decision. Uh, As I noted in the DFS interpretation write-up for this game, it would actually be best for us if we don't get a Schefter tweet on Saturday night. It would actually be best for us if this remains a true game time decision because that might dent Madison's ownership a little bit. And he, he pretty clearly is the top running back play on the slate when we talk about the type of role that he has when he steps in where he's going to get 20 plus touches, his price tag and his matchup against the Lions. What's interesting is that he's not the only affordable running back in play here. What's also interesting is that we have at least one really good high-priced running back in Derrick Henry. It now looks like Christian McCaffrey is going to be doubtful this week. Uh, Alvin Kamara always draws some interest. Zeke is going to draw some interest this week. Saquon Barkley's name always draws some interest. Austin Eckler's name always draws some interest. And then we have these... 5k guys, right? We have Alexander Madison at 5,500. We have Damian Harris at 5,500. We have Damian Williams at 5,600. Chase Edmonds is now looking questionable, which could leave us with James Conner at 5,200. And so as a function of all of this, 
what we're going to end up with is a lot of running backs who just kind of go overlooked. So as people are, as we, as we get to this 5K range, you have a running back like Kareem Hunt or DeAndre Swift, a guy who can see seven plus targets. Typical range, he's going to get like seven or eight carries. He's going to get four or five, sometimes six targets. But we know that the carries can go up. We know that the targets can go up. And it's very easy and very sharp to look at this running back price range and say, okay, who's the sharpest play in this group? Well, it's Alexander Madison. And then when you move past Madison, it's like, okay, well, if I'm putting a second affordable running back in, or if I'm trying to move off of Madison, who's the guy who is going to get the most touches? Who has the most bankable volume? And that's the way people often look at things, which is going to lead them to the Damian Williams and the Damian Harris and some of these other guys who we mentioned. While there are still guys in this range like Elijah Mitchell, like Kareem Hunt, like DeAndre Swift, like Chuba Hubbard with Christian McCaffrey now doubtful. There are still guys in this range who can get to 30 plus points. Kareem Hunt can get to 30 points without getting 22 touches. DeAndre Swift can get to 30 plus points without getting 22 touches. Elijah Mitchell can probably get to 30 points with 20, 21, 22 touches, and people are going to be afraid to pull the trigger on him if he's back because they'll be coming back from injury. And so we have an interesting setup this week in that we're going to have a lot of high upside running backs that are going to go totally overlooked. That's not even to mention the fact that if we break out of this 5K to 6K price range and skip over the names that we already mentioned, the Derrick Henry, the Zeke, the Saquon. There are still guys like Najee Harris, who's not in a great matchup against Denver, but we know he's going to be a big part of the offense. Guys like Nick Chubb, who the price is dropping. He's not getting any pass game work. People aren't going to play him, though. And we know that Nick Chubb has those huge games in his back pocket. He has those 80-yard runs. He has those multi-touchdown games that he can hit with 20 carries and one or two targets. So pay attention this week, in, especially as you get into larger field tournaments, pay attention this week to the ways that you might want to use the running back position as a sort of chess piece in your move toward a first place finish. Now, if you're on a unique stack or a unique stack plus a unique pass game piece somewhere else, you might not have to go off the board at running back. You might be able to go Alexander Madison and your other favorite running back, and you're differentiated enough. But if you're stacking one of the more popular spots or if you're on some popular wide receivers, there is freedom at this running back position to say, basically to say, where can I get 30 points that people are not going to be thinking about? So Alexander Madison is a sharp way to go, obviously, but... Even if you play Alexander Madison, or once you play Alexander Madison, in fact, you you now have this very chalky player, very sharp, but very chalky player, and you, you have one other running back spot. So be thinking about how that other running back spot can be used. Now, again, that doesn't mean you have to go off the board, as you will see when we get to my second running back on this bottom-up build, but it does mean that you should be thinking about whether or not that's one of the spaces that you want to use in part of your little chess match to move around the field and get to that first place 
finish. So we have Alexander Madison. And another thing I'll mention, and I mentioned this in the interpretation right up for this Vikings game. I'll mention it in the player grid. But basically, if Dalvin Cook is out, I would say pretty firmly that you should keep a one Vikings player per roster type of rule for yourself this week. Because Alexander Madison is highly likely to have a strong game against the Lions. And if he doesn't, we are left with a very concentrated offense that is still going against the Lions. So in other words, it's not particularly likely that Madison fails because the Vikings as a whole fail. If Madison fails, it's likely because the points are going through a different Vikings player. And because this offense is so concentrated, it's pretty easy to guess which player that will be. Uh, it's likely to be Justin Jefferson. He sets up great in this matchup. He has the <clears throat> volume on his side compared to Thielen. And then we get into some deeper things in the uh, interpretation write-up and the player grid for this one. But basically, keep that in mind that if Madison is not on your roster... And you're not putting another Vikings player on your roster. You are basically saying, I think the Vikings are going to fail in this match against the Lions. If you don't want to be be making that bet, then you need a different Vikings piece on that roster. So keep that in mind if Dalvin Cook is out this week. Okay, so the next place that I went on this roster was I knew what I wanted to do at quarterback, running back, and wide receiver. That is to say quarterback, the second running back spot, and the first wide receiver spot. But I also wanted to see if it would be possible to do that. So before I get to what I wanted to do at quarterback, RB2, and wide receiver, let's get to the items that I wanted to see if it would be possible to do it. So the next thing that I did on this roster was I went to Curtis Samuel at 3K. And then I went over to the tight end position and put in Ricky Seals-Jones at 2,500. So we know what's going on with Washington, but let's break it down. You really can't run against the Saints. So the chances of Taylor Heineke throwing, even in a lower volume game, right? The Saints are going to try to slow things down. Uh, Washington might have some stalled drives. So we're not looking at a game in which Washington has 70 plays, more than likely. Typical for an NFL game is you get about 65 plays. And what we'll probably see here is, you know, in somewhere in that 55 to 60 range of plays for Washington. But we're going to see Heineke throw the ball at least 35 times unless the play volume just totally craters for Washington. So if we say 35 pass attempts or more, but 35 pass attempts, and then Logan Thomas is out and Cam Sims is out and Deami Brown is out. We don't have, we kind of know where the targets are going to go, right? So let's say that we give 12 targets to Terry McLaurin. And then let's say that eight, eight targets bleed out to running backs to Antonio Gibson, to JD McKissick. That still leaves us with 15 targets. And then if we say that five targets go to some other random players, that still leaves us with 10 targets for Curtis Samuel and Ricky Seals Jones. And that's a pretty flourish projection for targets for these two guys. And so the putting these two guys on a roster together, 5,500 in combined salary, 10 plus targets, chance to get up to 12 targets, 15 targets. Now, this obviously depends on Curtis Samuel's 
health. Curtis Samuel played 25 snaps last week. Uh, he was basically, he didn't practice all week this week. So the likelihood is that Washington is just saying, Hey, look, like we need this guy right now. He still can't play a full complement of snaps, but let's at least rest him throughout the week again so that he's as ready to go as possible on Sunday. So I would expect that we get 35 to 40 snaps out of Curtis Samuel. He got four targets on those 25 snaps. We know that when he's on the field, they're going to be scheming some usage for him. So Five, six, seven targets for Curtis Samuel is pretty reasonable here at 3K. Now, there's some guesswork here. Again, he didn't practice all week. We haven't seen him play more than 25 snaps so far. So you're certainly taking on some guesswork, and he'll probably be a little bit popular. So he's not going to be a staple for, for me this week. He might end up on none of my rosters. But if we had a fully healthy Curtis, Curtis Samuel who'd been in the groove of things with this offense, we're probably looking at a price tag of anywhere from 4,500 to like 5,900. So we're getting him at a significant discount, which makes him very interesting. Ricky Seals-Jones, we've seen this show before. If you've been in DFS long enough, you know everything about Ricky Seals-Jones. You know he's a former wide receiver. You know that he has pass-catching skills. And then you know that he gets out there. In a situation like this, everybody rosters him. And he inevitably disappoints. But Ricky Seals-Jones at 2,500 in an offense missing a lot of targets in an offense that likes to use the tight end is certainly viable in this spot. After I ran through those calculations, though, it was like, boy, I've got both of these guys on this roster. And sure, salary multipliers are great, right? If they get you to 30 points at at 10, at 5.5K in salary spent, that's great. If they get you to 22, 23 points, 5.5K in salary spent, that's great. But is that really going to help you win a tournament? Because raw points also matter. So when we take two super cheap guys, we really do need them to go for at least 30 points or more. And then you kind of start breaking down, well, what are the chances of them actually going for 30 plus points, right? We know that Ricky Seals-Jones is has potential to be inefficient. We know that Curtis Samuel is going to see short area targets. He might see one or two downfield looks, but it's going to be, you know, this Rondell Moore, this LaVisca Chenault type of role. It's actually a role that Curtis Samuel created first, but where we're getting these shorter area looks and trying to create opportunities for big yards after the catch. And so it would be very easy for these two guys to combine for eight points, right? To take up this these two roster spots and combine for eight points, 10 points, 12 points, and really sink your whole roster. So the next thing that I did on this roster was to say, okay, Curtis Samuel, it's hard to find a 3K wide receiver who can get you six plus targets. So Curtis Samuel is going to stay on here. Ricky Seals-Jones is the guy that I am taking on a little bit more risk with. And, or I should say, the, the guy who he's going to be probably be popular. And, you know, he's as likely to get you two or three points as he is to get you 12 to 15 points. And so Ricky Seals-Jones was the place where it was like, okay, I'm going to sort of massage what I'm doing here by moving off of Ricky Seals-Jones and moving up to Jonu Smith. So I mentioned Jonu Smith in the player grid this week. Jonu Smith, he's seen five to six targets in every game this season, and he's basically been used the same way that the Titans used him. A lot of short area stuff. Try to get him the ball in space with blockers in front of him. And what this leads to is a lot of games where you end up with 
four fantasy points, six fantasy points, eight fantasy points, seven fantasy points, nine fantasy points. But it also opens the door for those 20 fantasy point games, those 22, 23 fantasy point games where you have a big yards after the catch play. You score one or two touchdowns and end up being one of the more valuable tight end pieces on the slate. So from a standpoint of what Ricky Seals Jones range is and ownership will be and a standpoint of what John Smith's range is and ownership will be. John Smith is the guy that I would like to move up to on this roster, get up to 3,300 to get to John Smith. There are other cheap tight ends who are viable this week. Uh, we hit on some of them in the player grid, but John Smith is where I went next on this roster. So that gave me Alexander Madison, Curtis Samuel, and Jonu Smith. Now I say that gave me because there are still going to be some things that end up changing on this roster. But let's first get to, well, actually, let's let's say before we get to what I wanted to do at wide receiver, running back, and uh wide receiver one, running back two, and quarterback. Uh, let's get to this other wide receiver spot that I that I put in here to basically say, okay, how can I piece all of this together? Where is the value? on this week's slate. And one of the other clearest values at wide receiver for me is Kadarius Tony. So what I really liked about Tony's role last week with the Giants, and I talked about this in the DFS interpretation for this game and talked about it in the uh, player grid as well. But what I liked about Tony's role last week was that the Giants drafted Tony in the first round and then basically said, look, this kid is super raw and is not ready to contribute in an NFL offense just yet. And so because of that, the thought was basically, well, the Giants will slowly work him in this season. They will have some designed plays for him and some gadget plays for him. And maybe by the end of the season, he's sort of integrated into the offense. And if not, that gives him this year to kind of grow. And then by next year, hopefully he's ready to step onto the field and really contribute. So we are in, we were in week four last week and all of a sudden Kadarius Tony is forced into starting because of all these injuries on the Giants. So there are two ways to handle that. Way number one is to just put him on the field, have him run the normal routes that that position would be called to run. And if he's open on some plays, you get the ball to him. Way number two is to say, hey, we're limited in who is on the field this week. Kadarius Tony has to be one of our 11 guys on the field this week. So let's design the offense with some plays that highlight Tony's skill set. He has to be on the field, right? So instead of saying, okay, maybe we'll, we'll have him on the field for 15 or 20 plays. And on those 15 or 20 plays, we will have some designed plays that are leveraging his skill set. Right. That's kind of how the Giants wanted to be using him at this point in the season. So now all of a sudden he has to be on the field for 50 plays, 55 plays, whatever. And the Giants kind of carry that mindset over to say, OK, if Tony's on the field, if he's one of our pieces who's out there, let's figure out how to leverage what he's good at. Let's actually get him the ball in space. Let's kind of design plays around getting him open, making things simple for him and getting him the ball. Those nine targets that he had last week were not a function of him just going out there and shaking defensive backs and getting wide open. It was a function of the Giants going out of their way to get him those nine targets. So that should encourage us that the usage is likely going to be there again 
this week. We know that Trayvon Diggs is likely going to spend a lot of time with Kenny Galladay. We know that the Cowboys are likely to score points. So Kadarius Toney at 4K coming in with, again, a target projection of anywhere from six to nine targets uh, with a lot of ball in his hands upside is a really great piece once again. So that's where I was feeling best about the salary savers and the places where I could kind of go away from stacks and just take one-off pieces that I can say, okay, these guys unlock some salary on my roster. So that's Curtis Samuel, well, Alexander Madison, Curtis Samuel, Kadarius Toney, and starting from Ricky Seals-Jones, moving up to Jonu Smith. And the reason I wanted to start from all these places and try to unlock this salary was because I wanted to do something. I wanted to see if it was possible under a 44K salary cap to do something unique on this roster at quarterback, running back, and wide receiver. You may know what's coming. We have Ryan Tannehill, Derrick Henry, and A.J. Brown. Not typical bottom-up build pieces, of course. We have 12.9K in salary spent just on the quarterback-wide receiver combo. We have 21.9K in salary spent on these three guys. Basically, half of our salary for this roster on these three guys. But there are a lot of different ways we could go for stacks this week, starting from affordable quarterbacks. And I wanted to see if it was possible to do something really unique on this roster. So before we loop back over to the Titans trio stack, I want to also mention some of the other cheaper quarterbacks who are interesting in this in this spot this week. Jared Goff is interesting because we expect that the Lions are going to be chasing points against the Vikings. We already have Alexander Madison on this roster, which says that the Vikings are moving the ball, scoring points, and probably playing with a lead. So in that scenario, Jared Goff plus one of his pass catchers, including potentially Jared Goff plus DeAndre Swift, is an interesting path to consider. We have Trey Lance with huge upside with his legs, likely under center this week at 5,700. No need to stack him with anybody, but that's another way to go on this roster. Daniel Jones, I've been talking about since the beginning of the week. Daniel Jones is only 6K. We've seen over and over again the type of upside that he has in a game where the Giants are going to be chasing points. We already have Kadarius Toney on this roster, so Daniel Jones is also an interesting way to go. And then the last one from this price range that really stands out to me is Joe Burrow. And we're going to have the, especially if Joe Mixon is out, we're going to have the Bengals chasing points against the Packers, or at least having to score points against the Packers. And this Bengals team that has shown a high comfort level in the past going pass heavy is now has shifted to this run heavy game plan, but they have, they have the flexibility. They have the foundation to be able to shift over to a more pass heavy game plan. If Mixon is out this week uh, and Joe Burrow plus two of his wide receivers would be an affordable and really interesting way to capture plenty of upside. If we'd gone that way on the bottom up build, we actually could have gone Burrow plus two of his pass catchers and then tried to fit in Devontae Adams onto that roster to again say, yes, it's a 44K salary cap, but if we're unlocking salary in some other places, we can do some interesting spend up things in other spots. But what I wanted to go to was this Titans trio stack. 
It's something that we discovered early last year. It's something we've talked about a lot on the site. It's something that other sites have finally started to pick up on and started to talk about. But it's so unconventional that when it shows up, people don't really pull the trigger on it. And that's the fact that there have been basically, so let me say it like this. When DraftKings sets pricing, you can go through players' game logs, and we're always talking about kind of this 4x salary multiplier that we're looking for, right? Well, you can go through game logs and find that typically most players hit that 4x salary multiplier once out of every four games over time. So if you look at a player's historical data, say their last 16 games, their last 20 games, and a player is priced at 8K, a player priced at 8K has probably gone for about 30 points in about four of his last 16 games, or about five of his last 20 games, or about three of his last 12 games. And that's kind of the range that DraftKings tries to get these things into. Okay, so we take this mega Titan stack the where we say, hey, we're not betting on Derrick Henry having a great game in this matchup. We're betting on the Titans smashing in this matchup and all three guys getting in on the action. Well, it's somewhere in the range of one out of every three games over the last year, year and a half, one out of every three games we can build around a Titans trio and get 80 plus points. In other words, we can take Tannehill and Henry and it's been AJ Brown and it's been Corey Davis, but we're in a great position here because Julio Jones is out. Corey Davis is gone and it's going to be AJ Brown. Who's likely to see the volume. So it narrows down for us the, you know, eliminate some of the guesswork. And so basically at a higher level than where players are typically priced, we can get these Titans smash games and they're basically never owned. People don't go out and say, yeah, I'm going to play Ryan Tannehill and AJ Brown and Derrick Henry together. So I wanted to get that onto this bottom up build roster. This would obviously be a more popular roster construction in an OWS only only tournament than it would be in any other tournament. But if we had never talked about it, this would be something that you wouldn't see anywhere. You will see this sprinkled about in some places this week from OWS members or from people who picked it up from OWS and then talked about it in other places and so on and so forth. But this is not a conventional stack. And so since it is showing up this week, since it is viable this week, I wanted to get it onto the bottom up build if at all possible. So where that put us at this point was Ryan Tannehill, Derek Henry, Alexander Madison, A.J. Brown, Kadarius Tony, Curtis Samuel, and Jonu Smith. We want to close out this roster with a Jaguars pass game piece because we're betting on the Titans smashing. We're betting on the Titans putting up 35 to 40 plus points and just pouring things on. Well, if they're doing that, the Jaguars, this isn't, they're not playing against Adam Gase, right? They're not playing against John Fox. The Jaguars are going to be passing, passing, passing. And DJ Shark is out. We know that the pass game work is going to flow in large part through LaVisca Chenault and Marvin Jones. LaVisca Chenault is the more affordable player. So I put him on this build. Unfortunately, that leaves us a little bit over 
salary. So there's no defense on this roster yet, but we are basically looking at about 1K in salary left over for defense at this point. And there are no defenses that are 1K in salary. So the first thing that I do here is I go down from Jonu Smith back down to Ricky Seals-Jones. And I say, look, I'm building all of this to try to get this Titans stack, this Titans trio on this roster. That's the whole point of why I'm building this the way that I'm building this, is to get this Titans trio on this roster. So let me get down to Ricky Seals-Jones and see if that makes it fit. Still, we don't have enough in salary. We could actually go with the Washington football team at 2300 and get it done. That allows us to have Tannehill, Derrick Henry, Alexander Madison, A.J. Brown, LaVisca Chenault, Curtis Samuel, Ricky Seals-Jones, and Kadarius Toney. But this story doesn't make a whole lot of sense. This story that says the Washington defense puts up a huge score and two Washington pass catchers put up a really nice score. And what we're likely ending up with in this bit, roughly 8K in salary spent on these three Washington pieces is somewhere in the range of about 20 points with certain pieces cannibalizing the others. So that's not a position that we want to be in, which would force us again to move off of one of these other one of Ricky Seals Jones or Curtis Samuel, or to do something a little bit different at defense. What I would optimally love to do on this roster, we have Alexander Madison, I would love to get up to 3K to the Vikings defense. There are some notes on the Vikings defense in the player grid, but basically they've been top five or six in pressure rate and adjusted sack rate. And we know that the Lions are going to be missing offensive linemen this week. Uh, and we know that the Lions are going to be forced and likely forced into a pass heavy game plan, which again, further increases the chances for sacks, for turnovers, and so on and so forth. If I go up to the Vikings defense at 3K, however, it kind of throws off this whole roster and any types of stories I'm trying to tell on this roster. So what I end up doing is I end up going up to the Cardinals at 2,900. Now, what I like about the Cardinals, obviously, just from a raw point standpoint, is that they're facing a very raw young quarterback in his first start. We're assuming that Trey Lance is starting here. And that often opens opportunities for them to get points. But what I also like from a strategy standpoint is that I am taking one of these other high 5K, low 6K quarterbacks. So I am basically drawing from the same pool that my competition is drawing from. In this spot, my roster construction is similar to a large chunk of the field who might be taking Daniel Jones, might be taking Trey Lance, might be taking Joe Burrow, whoever else is in this range. And so I get to basically attack those Trey Lance rosters by playing the Cardinals defense. In other words, if the Cardinals defense is doing well, I'm not just getting the single punch of the Cardinals defense getting me points, but I'm getting that one-two combo punch of the Cardinals getting points and taking away from the Trey Lance rosters that are fishing this same salary pool that I am fishing right here. So Cardinals defense goes on here. And what that allows is it allows me to pivot down from Ryan Tannehill 
to Trevor Lawrence. So Trevor Lawrence is the only quarterback in this range who I like and hadn't yet mentioned because of the way that this roster came together and the fact that we can talk about him here at the end. So as we already said, if we're betting on the Titans absolutely smashing, we are betting on a scenario in which the Jaguars are opening things up and attacking throughout the game against this really bad Tennessee defense. The Jaguars have a more aggressive offense than the Jets. The Jaguars have more explosive pieces than the Jets. The Jaguars probably have a better quarterback than the Jets. And last week we were interested in that Jets offense and basically saying like, if the Jets are going to have a breakout game as a passing offense, this is the spot where it's likeliest to happen. We can carry that same thinking over to the Jaguars and say, if the Jaguars are going to have a big game, this is where it's likely to happen. Furthermore, if we're betting that Derrick Henry and A.J. Brown and Ryan Tannehill have a huge game, that increases the chances of Trevor Lawrence and his pass catchers having a huge game. So what I wanted was Ryan Tannehill plus Derrick Henry plus A.J. Brown. But what I end up with is something that still bets on Ryan Tannehill, Derrick Henry and A.J. Brown all having a huge game. But. I get to kind of do that by pulling in the points that will come from the other side instead of from the Tennessee side. Ryan Tannehill has some upside with his legs. So does Trevor Lawrence. If we played out this slate a hundred times and AJ Brown and Derrick Henry smash all the times that AJ Brown and Derrick Henry smash probably about half of those Trevor Lawrence is outscoring Ryan Tannehill just by function of the variance that can happen between those two, right? Where one is chasing points. We know that we're betting on Derrick Henry taking some of the touchdowns for the Titans. We're betting on the Titans getting a bunch of touchdowns. But let's say if the touchdowns flow through Trevor Lawrence and, you know, Ryan Tannehill gets one on the ground, two through the air, Trevor Lawrence gets one on the ground, two through the air as well, maybe passes for more, maybe rushes for more, so on and so forth. So Trevor Lawrence becomes a nice way to pivot down while keeping our bet intact in this spot. And that gives us a final bottom-up build of Trevor Lawrence at quarterback, Derrick Henry and Alexander Madison at running back, A.J. Brown, LaVisca Chenault, Curtis Samuel, Kadarius Tony at wide receiver, Ricky Seals-Jones at tight end, and the Cardinals defense at defense. That is how I'm seeing the values on this slate in in large part. That is how I'm seeing this slate. We got a chance to talk through the different stacking options that I'm seeing here uh, and the interesting ways in which I am seeing this tight end value pool and the running back position as a whole. So the only thing sort of left out is the sort of all the other wide receivers that we can consider this week, which will all be covered in the player grid. So that is one of our shorter angle pods of the year, but I think that we covered everything that I wanted to cover here. Uh, The player grid will cover anything that we missed. And with that, I am going to get out of here. So thank you as always for hanging out with me on the angles podcast. I will see you on the site throughout the weekend and I will see you at the top of the leaderboards on Sunday. Sunday.